following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Right now, everybody in the house that's happy, say amen. And if you're not, don't say a word. We don't want to hear from you. We want you to be happy when you leave here. I always believe that church should be the greatest happy hour in Austin. It really should. It really should. You ought to leave here. I mean, just exclaiming, making Toyota commercials and clicking your heels together and just having a high heel time because there's no presence like the presence of the Lord. None. In his presence is fullness of joy. Come on, say it with me. And at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Aren't you glad that you can come to a church where you know that we're going to do our best to invite the presence of God to come in here and bless our lives and our hearts. And it's an active presence. It really, really is. It's an active presence. And I am so happy to see you for the third and final night of our true worship series. And I have enjoyed this. And I'll be honest with you, I've learned some stuff myself. After all these years of preaching, I've learned some things myself about in my study about what we're going to talk about tonight and what we've talked about the last two weeks on this subject called true worship. Now, I'm going to be I'm going to be real teachy tonight, so it may not be peachy for you. <laughs> but I'm going to be teachy, but I want to teach you some things that I think will help you. I'm going to try not to just to stir your emotions, but I think worship should be stirring us every every hour of the day because God is looking for true worshipers. And we need to be plugged into this thing called worship. And so we're going to teach the gospel here tonight. And uh, I don't have a lot of jokes. I don't have a lot of stories. Some of them may hit me while I'm talking to you. Because that's the way they do. They just kind of come in and say, you got to tell this. This is funny to you. It may not be funny to them, but it's to you. So I may throw something out there. Would you stand to your feet, your wonderful people? For you folks that we have missed on, that's been gone on vacation Thank you for coming back after 10 long years away. <laughs> hey, you're missed when you're gone. You really, really are. Next week's going to be a high hill time. I'm going to have my seat. Don't anybody take my seat. I'm going to be like the little lady that's in that West Texas church that had that front row seat. If somebody tried to get it, she let them know it was hers. So that's mine right there <laughs> next week. And we'll probably put some extra chairs in here. We're going to have a big time next week. And all the month of August... You haven't heard about August yet, but all the month of August is absolutely going to be rocking. Amen. We don't have the Rolling Stones coming. We don't have the Rolling Stones coming, but we have one that rolled a stone one day and got out of a grave coming next year. I'll tell you what. See, that just hit me. I wasn't thinking that. Now, we're talking tonight about true worship part three. Say true worship part three. Let me read a text and I'll let you sit down. 1 Samuel 21, in the NIV, David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. And the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, that you killed in the valley of Elah is here and it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And if you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. And David said, There is none like it, give it to me. There is none like it, give it to me. Now this is a horrible substitution 
But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of use this tonight as an ephod. This is a Tommy Bahama ephod. <laughs> the priest didn't wear this. But the ephod was a blue-colored garment. And so I'm just going to kind of throw this thing around a little bit tonight and have some, some fun with it. I said I wasn't going to be funny, but I'm going to have some fun with that. Because there is a sword here that needs to be uncovered in some of our lives. And many times when you go to look for it, you can't find it because it's hidden. So tonight, Hidden Victory, True Worship, Part 3. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. God bless. You may be seated. So in this chapter, David is running for his life. And he's coming into this tabernacle at Nob to find refuge. And he didn't bring his own bread. He ran fast because he was running from the sword and the vengeance of Saul. But he ate the showbread that God had ordained for the priest. Jesus referred to that in the New Testament when his disciples ate corn in the cornfields. And David represents a spiritual hunger in each of us that can never be satisfied with the bread that man can manufacture. Mrs. Barrett's bread is not what we need. We need a spiritual bread that we receive from coming to the house of the Lord. But not only didn't David bring his own bread, he also neglected to bring his own weapon because he was in a hurry. And looking at this passage again, it reads, the sword of Goliath, Ahimelech said, the Philistine, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And this is the same sword that David used four chapters earlier to cut the head of Goliath off in the valley of Elah. It was actually Goliath's sword. He took it out of his hand and cut his head off. Then he took the head of that giant into the city to proclaim the victory of the Lord to the people of God and there was great shouting and rejoicing because the Philistines had been thwarted. And people started singing then. Saul has slain his thousands and the handmaid started singing and David has slain his tens of thousands and the jealousy got greater and greater. Now it's interesting to note the significance of these items. The sword, the sword. Let's just act like that this is the sword. The sword is God's weapon for David, which signified victory in his life because it was that sword that ended the life of Goliath and Elah. And now the ephod. The ephod is the garment of worship and prayer that was to be worn by the priest to minister to God in the house of God. And the ephod was supposed to be worn while the priest was in the house of the Lord. Are you following me tonight? But for some reason, Ahimelech, the high priest, had taken off the ephod and had laid it down in the house of God. And when he took off his ephod or his worship, he covered up David's victory. 
In order for David to pick up the victory sword, he first had to pick up the ephod. Victory, folks, has always been and always will be hidden behind worship. When we begin to worship God, he will reveal and give victory to us because worship always hides the victory that you want in your life. So you want victory, you worship. You worship, you get victory. You want victory, you worship. You worship to get victory. Does anybody catch on to that right now? Would you clap your hands and let me talk to you and teach you the gospel here tonight? We learned in lesson one three weeks ago about true worship. There's an accumulating body of evidence that shows we human beings enter this world pre-wired for music and worship. We taught you this on the first night. And researchers report that newborns are able to detect changes in pitch and in tempo. And it is also proven that people can remember the tunes of hundreds of songs, but cannot remember the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Music seems to lodge and resonate in the mind very early in life. And in his book, The God Part of the Brain, Matthew Alper, a basic premise that he offered was to explain this phenomena. He said, there's part of the brain located near both prefrontal lobe and temporal cortex that is specifically programmed for worship, for worship. If we were the Big Bang Theory, it looks like that somebody messed up in the Big Bang Theory because we were programmed, no matter if this world exploded or we came from apes, I promise you we were specifically programmed for worship. Something tells me there's a higher being that wants our worship, that programmed us no matter how deep in sin you are or how saved you are, we all have the same prefrontal cortex and prefrontal lobe and, and, and cortex in our mind. We were all programmed for worship. So punch your neighbor and say, hey, it's time you start worshiping the Lord in your heart and in your life. Come on, let's do that tonight. We are wired for worship. And we also learned in that first week that everyone will worship something. We all worship something. Birthing civilizations find worship as a necessary. Worship is necessary. Many times it's been discovered that these new civilizations worship and serve, though, the creature more than they do the creator because they don't understand who the creator is. And this is also happening in the 21st century. Paul warned of this in Romans chapter one, verse 25. He said, they come and they worship the creature more than the creator. And he said, they, they bring a vow to themselves. But then in lesson two, we learned last week that many of us are guilty of worship in worship and not worship in the, the God of worship. Sometimes we wanna feel his presence more than we want him. We might need to try to remember the last time we came to church just because God was here. Yeah. 
Amen. And try to remember the last time you came to church just to worship him because he's the only one worthy of our worship and our praise. The angel told John in Revelation, don't worship me, get up, worship him. And I want to point this whole congregation tonight to him. Don't worship a preacher preaching about worship, worship the one I'm preaching about tonight. His name is Jesus Christ and we're going to worship him. So praise is thanking God for what he has done. Has he ever healed you? You need to praise him for that. Has he ever has he ever given you something that you just didn't think you were worthy to get? Has he ever blessed you with something like that? He, he, he deserves praise. Has he ever brought your family together when you thought you had lost your family? Come on now. Has he ever healed a schism in your marriage when you thought your marriage was gone? Has he ever done that? That's worthy of praise. Amen. Has he woke you up this morning? Did he start you on your way? Did he give you a glorious Wednesday? Come on, the 24th day of July, 2019. Hadn't God been good to us? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will say of the Lord, he is my God. Woo. But worship, on the other hand, is not thanking him for what he's done, but worship is loving him for who he is. So many people think that folks that do not know him do not worship him properly. But I discovered in the Bible, and I think the Bible's a pretty good rule of thumb, that there's people in here that have gone further than some people that go to church all their life in worshiping the God of creation. I believe with everything that's in me that when you can stand on your feet as Daniel did in his book, when God said, stand up, talk to me like a man. When you can stand up on your feet, when you can be in a potsherd like, like, uh, like Job was and scraping your balls and say, I will continue to worship him. That does something to God that nothing else does. Oh, he inhabits praise. But he falls in love with his worshipers. Let me say that again. He inhabits praise, but he falls in love with worshipers. In fact, the Bible said Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what was lost in heaven? Worship was lost in heaven. Lucifer was over all the worship of heaven. And he got proud and said, I'm going to ascend above the throne of God. And God said, no, you're not. I'm going to kick your little behind out of heaven. And God kicked him out and he took one third of the angels with him. And so the joy of our worship tonight is that we get to replace what hell used to have in charge of in heaven. Lucifer's no longer there playing like a pipe organ. Lucifer's no longer there sounding his voice and having those mighty pipes. But we can worship him from right here. And he inhabits our worship. He loves our worship. He loves our thanks. He loves our worship. He loves us telling him, you're the mightiest God I've ever known in my life. There's nobody like you. I love you from the rising of the sun till the going down of the same. If you never do anything else for me, I will worship you every day of my life. 
So Jesus sought worship in unusual places. This is hilarious to me, but it's also powerful. The first place he said, I must go is through Samaria because there was a woman there that had been married five times and was living with her sixth husband. And then she's met her seventh man who gave her a brand new beginning, number eight. Oh, I like that. But she was a Samaritan woman. She was not in the household of Israel. She was half Gentile, half Jew. And they were hated by both sides. The Gentiles hated them. The Jews hated them. But Jesus came at high noon because he knew she was too embarrassed to come to the well at evening time like the other maids did. And so he came at high noon. And when he sat down, she walked up and Jesus sent the other 12 to go get lunch for 13. Because he didn't want his disciples messing with his ministry. He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And he started talking to her about one thing and that was worship. And if you read the book of John chapter four, you'll realize the word worship is used more there than any other chapter selected in any part of the Bible. Because John was a worshiper. And that Samaritan woman, when she left the Lord, went back to the city, she forgot her water pots because he blessed her with such a powerful word called worship. And she went back and said, come see a man that told me everything I was. And when they looked up and the boys got back from getting lunch for him, they looked and saw the fields. They saw these white, these Samaritans dressed in all white. And Jesus said, look, the fields are white all ready to harvest. He was talking about a whole city. You hear me? When he taught a woman that didn't have a clue who he was, thought he was a prophet, thought he was just a normal man, but finally realized he was the Christ. She went and told the whole city, I have found him who told me everything about myself. Come see a man, come see him. And when he looked up, they were coming. Here's what I wanna tell you. When the right people worship, when the right people worship him, look out, the whole city's gonna start showing up. The whole city. It's still yet to be proven what can happen when a man really truly worships God in spirit and in truth. Now look at Mark 5, the demoniac of Gadara. He went there to look for worship. A demoniac, 2,000 demons in him. And that man ran and fell down and worshiped the Lord. I love this. And, and Jesus said, what is your name? And the man said, legion, for we are many. The man wasn't talking, the spirits were. But 2,000 demons could not stop him <laughs> from worshiping Jesus. And those demons worshiped him. For when he said, come out of him, they said, please don't throw us into the abyss. Put us in those swine. And because they worshiped him, he gave him, them their wish. He put them in the swine and they went and drowned themselves. What I'm telling you is that some of you are being robbed of the greatness of God because you are nothing more than just a praiser. And that praise is just a few hand claps. And you say, thank you, Lord, for that job. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord. Little golf clap for you. Thank you for making that birdie putt in my life. No, no, no. You need to get down in your soul and not let somebody with 2,000 demons out worship you. You need to magnify him in spirit and in truth. 
And then in Matthew 15, a woman of Canaan, woman of Canaan, Seraphonician woman, had a daughter vexed with a spirit. And he crossed over to the border of Tyre and Sidon. Never went again. Because he went for one reason. He saw somebody there that really wanted to worship him. Jesus will show up when he feels a want to. And he crosses over the border and comes up to this woman and she said, I have a daughter vexed with the spirit. And she, the Bible said, he said, I am not sent but to the house, the lost sheep of Israel. And the Bible said she worshiped him and said, help us, sir. Please help us. My daughter's vexed. And the disciple said, send her away. I love the crowd that ran with Jesus. Boy, they really had it, didn't they? They really got it. I'm so glad that our church gets it a little bit better than those 12 men got it. And he said, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. She said, truth, Lord, but the dogs do eat the crumbs that fall from the table of the master. And he said, I hadn't seen faith like that in all Israel. Great is your faith. Your daughter is healed. And he left Tyre and Sidon and came back to the Israelites. And here's what I want to tell you. When you worship him, he'll cross county lines for you. He'll cross state lines for you. He'll go where you never thought imaginable. He'll come to where you are because he inhabits the praise of his people. But he falls in love with folks that worship him. Come on now. Come on now. And then the last one is Jairus. Jairus. A ruler of the synagogue in Matthew 9 came to him. His daughter was dead and the Bible said he worshiped him. He was, a, he was not a messianic man, but he worshiped him. And the Bible said Jesus followed him home. Find another place in the Bible where Jesus followed somebody home. He follows worshipers home. He don't only fix you here, he'll fix your house. He don't only fix you right now, he'll fix you tomorrow. He'll let you wake up with a brand new day in a house where the air conditioner wasn't working, but tonight somehow it just started working. Come on now, he's a God that'll take care of you. Somebody needs to start worshiping him in spirit and in truth. But watch this now, watch this now. This is what I wanna share with you. On his way to heal a 12-year-old daughter, a woman with a 12-year infirmity with blood in her life, an issue of blood, came up behind him and touched his garment. And he said, somebody touched me. And Pete said, Lord, everybody's touching you. We got a bunch of people here. He said, no, I felt virtue go out of my body. And he turns around and he sees this little woman and she said, it was me, Lord. He said, woman, daughter, go thy way. Your faith has made thee whole. Here's what I want to tell you. This is the only time in the Bible where one man's worship produced two miracles. Oh, somebody help me preach right now. Not only is your family gonna be healed, not only is your daughter gonna be raised up, but somebody on the way to your miracle is gonna find a miracle for themselves. Anybody wanna help somebody? Anybody wanna help somebody get a miracle? Why don't you worship him? Hallelujah. Woo! That's enough of that. <laughs> Psalm 27, David said, one thing I ask of the Lord and this is what I seek. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. James said, if you'll draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Now it's fixing to get real simple. It's fixing to get more simple than it's already been. Tonight, it's time to get order in our worship. Worship has an order. And we need to get in that order. All right, you ready? Most people want God to give them a victory so they can worship him. That's out of order. God is waiting for people to worship him so he can give them a victory. The old song says, don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now. You know, one night, we, I got through preaching here one night, and I just felt like this church needed to shout unto the Lord like an army going to war. And this place sounded amazing. And I'm not going to ask you to replicate that tonight. No, no, no. I'm bigger than that. I'm going to ask you to triplicate that tonight. No, no. <laughs> but I want you to read when you get home about Josh Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The greatest attempt to take down Israel happened against that king. Three armies, the army of Moab, the army of Amnon, and the children of Mount Seir. Three huge armies came against the children of Israel. Now watch this. And God takes Jehoshaphat out, and Jehoshaphat in verse 18 of chapter 20, Second Chronicles 20, falls down and worships him. He falls and worships the Lord. The king worships him. In chapter 20, verse 21, three verses later, the Lord appoints singers. Singers. And then in chapter 22, God sets ambushments against the people. Now watch this. You gotta get this. I need about five guys to come up here right quick. I need five because that's the number of grace. Give me five, 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 five. All right, here we go. That's plenty right there. That's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. Okay, y'all stand here. Come on, shoulder to shoulder, right here. Shoulder to shoulder. Come on, here we go. Come on, right here. Come on, here. Okay, now. Oh, we got six. That's all right. No, that's fine, baby. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Now, now, you guys look like ruffians. But the greatest armies of the world is coming against Israel. The greatest battle you'll ever fight in your life is fixing to happen. And God says the front row are going to be worshipers. No weapons, no weapons, no knives, no spears, no swords, no AR-15s. But it's going to be worshipers. And they're going to sing the beauty of holiness. They're going to sing, bless the Lord. Hallelujah, for his mercy endures forever. And they're going to go against the biggest foe ever. Some people are not getting that because you think you can worship when it's a little bitty situation. Oh, I'll worship if it's a little something I can take care of myself. No, 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 no. When you get against the biggest foe you've ever come against in your life, you need to line the front row of your life with nothing but worship, with nothing but thanks, with nothing but adulation, with nothing but hallelujahs out of your system. 
Thank you, guys. I don't want you to sing because I know you can't. And those guys couldn't sing either. But the greatest victory that ever happened to Israel happened behind worship. I am so tired of saying, well, I tell you what, I'm a spiritual warfare man. No, you're not. If you're not a worshiper, because worship is the greatest thing you can throw at any enemy in your life. It's the greatest thing you can throw at any enemy. Everybody say, I will worship the Lord. In spirit and in truth. Some of you still not catching it yet because see, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to understand. You get up in the morning and nothing is happening. Nothing. I'm almost finished. But nothing is happening. And you look up and you realize how great it is just to be here on planet earth right now. And you realize that there's a God in heaven that created this scenario and he's bigger than anything you could ever be in your life. And you submit to that because you understand that you're not bigger than him. And it's time to quit worshiping the creature and start worshiping the creator again. And you throw down your cell phone and say, it's not selfie day, it's his day. And I'm gonna magnify him. And you just start magnifying the Lord in worship. Look out, look out. There's victory coming your way right now. I said, there's victory coming your way right now. You need to learn to say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Paul and Silas sang and worshiped at midnight in a Philippian jail and an earthquake came and all the prisoners' bands were loosed and the jailer got saved in his whole household. The children of Israel shouted, then the walls of Jericho came down, not after the walls came down. It's time for you to lift your voice. Before God will show us victory, we must put on the ephod of worship. But what has happened in our lives is that we have hidden our victory behind worship that we have taken off of our life. And there's promises in this sword that you'll never imagine until you take the ephod off and realize that this promise, these are ours. 7,000 of them in this Bible and all of them are yea and amen. Why don't you start worshiping God instead of just clapping for him like somebody made a birdie putt on your golf course? Why don't you start magnifying him and see what God will do in your life? Oh, pastor, you don't understand, I'm a he man. So am I. And I've seen some of you guys wearing pink too. And I wore a little of it Sunday. But it takes a man to wear that. But it's, all, it's not all about just being a man. It's understanding that this man has a God that loves me. And I'm going to edify him. And I'm going to bless his name. And I'm going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Clap your hands and rejoice. I'm almost finished tonight. If you've laid your worship down, you might just be covering up your victory. So put your worship on and you'll find that the whole time wrapped up and hiding behind the ephod of worship in the house of God is your victory. Randy, if you'll come. I'm preaching some people out of the house here tonight and I apologize. 
but I had to preach it. I won't be this wild anymore. According to the tabernacle plan, in order to get to the Holy of Holies, one had to go through worship. Let me conclude. Sacrifice and worship preceded entrance to the presence of God. See, the walls of the tabernacle that Moses fixed, the church, the first church in the wilderness, those walls were made of animal skins, which meant that there were sacrifices of days gone by. Those skins represented the past sacrifices. Worship is a sacrifice. And the altar of burnt offering, the brazen altar, was a fresh sacrifice that had to be made and it could not, because we cannot live on yesterday's blessings. We have to have a fresh sacrifice when you walk in. And then past the brazen altar was a brazen laver of water. And it was a time of cleansing. You cleansed yourself. The priest would wash off the blood. He'd take off the slaying garments and put on this ephod because he was going into the house to worship. And then he'd enter the holy place. That place was 30 feet long and 15 feet wide and 15 feet tall. And inside there was a golden or incense altar. It was an altar of praise. The brazen altar was an altar of sacrifice and worship. Now watch this. But the fire from the brazen altar was carried to the altar of incense. It was one fire on two altars. The fire started out here and was transferred inside. Until you can truly worship, it's hard to praise him right. Worship has to come first. And the golden incense altar was an altar of praise. And then there was a table of showbread that the bread was changed every seven days. And the priest ate that bread. And then there was seven golden candlesticks. After going through all of this, then and only then could the high priest enter the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, a 15 by 15 room was one item, the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark of the Covenant had a mercy seat on top of it and there were two cherubims overlooking it. Their wings touched and they looked down on the mercy. But inside that Ark was a table of stone. It was the word of God that God gave to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And there was a pot of manna because manna failed and if you didn't harvest it at a certain time, that manna melted. But when they got that manna and put it under the Ark of the Covenant, the manna never melted under mercy. That's another sermon. And then there was Aaron's rod there that budded miraculously one night, a 300-year-old walking stick. They laid it by the Ark of the Covenant and it budded. It brought forth boughs and buds and full-grown almonds in one night. And over the Ark were these cherubims. And in the Holy of Holies... The presence and glory of God came down so powerfully and thickly that the priest sometimes couldn't see to minister. But the direction from God came in times when the priests were in the Holy of Holies. But I want you to notice the progression here. The glory of God was not revealed until after the sacrifice and worship was performed. The priest didn't go in, get the anointing, and then come out and perform the act of worship. The act of worship came first. Can anybody at square one, without God doing anything in your life, can you stand up and say, I will magnify you? Can you do that in your life? I'm not asking you to do it, but can you do it in your life? No, 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 not yet. No, not yet. I'm teaching. Can you do that? Can you look up and say, 
It's, a, it's not a good day, but I'm gonna worship God. Things hadn't gone right, but I'm gonna worship God. I've been hurt, but I'm gonna worship God. Now let's bring it down to 2019. First Peter chapter two says, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that powerful? Everybody say we're priests. Responsible for bringing the glory of God to this people in Austin. And even though times have changed, the method to receiving the glory of God has not changed. Before you can enter into the glory and the victory of God, let me preach to you now. We must go through the act of worship. We must come through the skins on the, in, on the outer side of the court. Every time we enter into this building, we see the evidence of sacrifices of days gone by. We've entered into another man's labor and we're reaping a harvest from somebody else that set us up. Then you go to the altar of sacrifice and it's not enough to live on yesterday's experience. We must make a fresh sacrifice every time we come into the house of God. Romans 12 and 1 said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we must wash at the laver. This is the washing right here. Psalms 119 said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word. The Bible said when this word is preached, we are washed by the water of the word. Anybody feel any cleaner tonight? I put a little dove soap with it too. And then we enter the holy place. There's the altar of incense, that's our praise. It started back here at the altar of sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Then there's the candlestick, the word of God. Psalms 119 said, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I'm trying to hurry. And then we eat of the spiritual bread. We have communion with Jesus Christ. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes in me shall never thirst. And after we've done all of that, we enter to the Holy of Holies where the power and the direction and the anointing and the victory in the Holy Ghost is found. So my, 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 my message to you tonight is when you get out of your car on Sunday morning and you walk toward this house, look at a building that maybe some of you didn't help build somebody else's sacrifice. I came here in 1990 and there was, there was a church here. I, I, I can't boast of that. I can't say it was mine. No, somebody else built that. But when I walk in the doors of this church, I'm gonna make myself a sacrifice. I'm gonna worship him when I walk in this door. Before anything happens, I'm gonna worship him. And then I'm gonna walk in to the Holy of Holies and I'm gonna go past the labor of water. I'm gonna hear the word of God. I'm gonna to go to the holies and I'm gonna see the candlesticks. I'm gonna see the altar of incense. I'm gonna praise him and I'm gonna eat the showbread 
and I'm gonna commune with Jesus Christ and I'm gonna see the power of demonstration because I will walk into the Holy of Holies. It's a whole nother lesson, but I'm telling you, it starts with worship. Here's closing. One man wrote, said, the reason many churches are powerless is that they have lost their worship. Stand to your feet all over the building. I want to tell you a story about a woman named Lucille, Lucille Clifton. She was nominated two times for the Pulitzer Prize. A fabulous, fabulous lady. Highly educated lady. Her mother was abused by her father and Lucille vowed that it would never happen to her, but the generation curse happened. And she married the same kind of husband. He ran around on her, he abused her, he left her pregnant and barefooted all the time. And when her fifth child was in her, she decided to take matters into her own hands. She decided to abort the child with a coat hanger one day at the house. She tried, but she failed in the process and the child was born full term. Grew up and became a lovely daughter. And later in life, Lucille developed kidney problems and was going to die if a donor was not found. Looked all over America, no donor to match, and finally checked with her own children. And the daughter that she tried to abort was a perfect match. Gave her kidney to her mom, and Lucille lived. She spoke this at St. Edward's several years ago, and it was in the Austin American Statesman. And here was her statement. She said, be careful what you abort in life. It just might come back to save your life. As a pastor of people that I know love God, I'm going to ask you never abort worship in your life. Because I promise you, when you get in trouble, when you have all things against you, there's nothing like worship to bring you victory in your life. Don't abort that. Don't abort that. Don't abort that. Don't abort that. We remain powerless when our victory is wrapped up and hidden behind our discarded worship. Don't abort that. So I wonder tonight in closing, and it's 8.39, I got one minute, and I'm five minutes over. Would anybody like to put on an ephod of worship tonight? Anybody like to walk out of here saying, you know what, Pastor? This is what I need in my life. See, this is not to be waved. This is to be worn. You wear this. John 9, 31 said, if any man be a worshiper, him God hears. Worshippers, God hears. Praise, God entertains. But worship, God loves. Why don't we become a worshiping church like we never thought possible? Just my own self, not coming to worship worship, but worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wouldn't that be cool? So I want to ask you the question I started to ask you a while ago and some of you started standing up. Anybody want to stand up for Jesus tonight? Anybody want to stand up for Jesus tonight? Anybody just want to worship him right here a little while before we dismiss? Come on. Anybody? Not because he's done anything, but because he's just who he is. Come on. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Come on, it's time to put some volume in our worship. Come on, we need to open up our mouth. We need to worship him with everything that's in us right now. Come on, give him 
30 seconds of your time right now. 30 seconds of your time. Worship him right now. Worship him right now. I'll worship you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. 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 From you are Hallelujah. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. Come on, wear it tonight, wear it tonight, wear it tonight. You are worthy of it all. Hallelujah, hallelujah. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Lord, you deserve the glory. I know it's the last night of this trilogy of messages, but i just like for somebody that would just like to make a difference in your worship to step out in an aisle and just kind of extend yourself toward heaven and say, Lord, I'm going to show you that I'm going to step out and I'm going to show up in this thing called worship tomorrow. It's not about showing out at church. It's about showing up tomorrow and worshiping you and giving you all of my heart and giving you all my mind and giving you everything that I am because he loves worship. He loves worship. He adores worship. Come on, do it right now, all over the building. All over the building. Come on, do it right now. Do it right now, all over the building. Hallelujah.